Do you think people are picturing us on top of the Empire State Building doing this podcast? Yeah. Yep. Should we make wind sounds? <laughs> Did you know, have you have you been to the top yeah. of the Empire State? Yeah, yeah. You know, like they have that guard around? Uh-huh. That's smart. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wife Watches. This is Jason Bishop. And joining me after waiting several hours atop the Empire State Building, it's Courtney Bishop. Hello, everyone. Good to see you, Jason. Good to see you, too. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. This is a podcast where I, a husband, show Courtney, a wife, Movies that she's either missed or skipped intentionally that I believe are culturally or cinematically important. Correct. However. However. Tonight. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are watching a movie we've both seen. Yeah, we have. Multiple times. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen it a handful of times. I would say for the next month, it's February, the month of love. We're kind of going a bit off book. We're doing some movies that I personally really love and resonate with me. This is something we have done a couple times in the past where we would do a double feature where basically we had a whole night ahead of us and we tried to pair up two things that we thought fit really well. On the five-year anniversary of Robin Williams' death, we watched Goodwill Hunting and Hook. We also had a, like a Billy Wilder one where we watched The Apartment and my, Double Indemnity. That was my favorite one. So we've been trying to do this double feature for a while where we watch, and if I to remember... And Sleepless in Seattle. Mm -hmm. We got them over a year ago for Christmas together mm -hmm. for this very purpose. Who gave us that? Your mom? Uh, yeah, my mom did. And we realized, you know, maybe not a lot of people really want to hear a podcast about an affair to remember. <laughs> but we thought it might be kind of fun to do kind of a back-to-back -back of two movies that are kind of tied together. These ones are quite tied together, but... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Which I don't think... I didn't realize how intrinsically tied they were. Because I think I saw an affair to remember before before I saw Sleepless in Seattle. And I was I didn't see Sleepless in Seattle in full until I was an adult. I was always kind of aware of both of them. Okay. Neither of us have very strong opinions toward either of these movies. No, and that's the first time this has happened, I think. Yeah, so we're going to see how much conversation we can actually milk out of this. <laughs> and if they're fun, maybe we'll, in the future, when we have like an extra, a free couple weeks where we don't have anything planned, we'll throw in some other kind of double feature and do it. They're fun for us. Yeah, I really like the Billy Wilder ones. I would want to do that one again. Yeah, I think, as a film nerd, it's a fun intellectual exercise to try to find fun pairings of movies that thematically fit together. Yeah. One of the movies, one of the double features we had was Dirty Dancing and Jumanji. There was nothing holding that together. <laughs> except I ate so many Totino's pizzas. <laughs> the year is 1957. Oh, that's my favorite part. This came out the summer of 1957, okay? The song of the summer is All Shook Up by Elvis Presley. I'm all drug up. The president is Dwight D. Eisenhower. Great. Um, the highest grossing movie of the year was The Bridge on the River Kwai. Never He's, seen it. It's it's good. It also won the Oscar for Best Picture. Who's that in year. that? Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness? Obi-Wan Kenobi. The Obi average Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wow. <laughs> now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. 
The average cost of a new house was $12,000. No, I can't. Oh. Well, we would be making less money. Sure, but a house costs $12,000. Yep. 12 sweet ones. Which is like a down payment now. No. Okay. Whammo released the first Frisbee toy. Whoa. Why does that one get me? The top money-making stars of the time. That's how it was listed in Wikipedia. I'm not sure what that means. Top money-making stars. Uh, The top um, actor was Rock Hudson. And the top actress was Kim Novak. Um, An Affair to Remember is an American romance film. It's directed by Leo McCary. And like we said, stars Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr. And A Fair to Remember is considered one of the most romantic films of all time, according to the American Film Institute. It was a remake of the 1939 film Love Affair. Weird. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. After That's the movie. weird because, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle is not a remake, but it like was 30 years. When was this? 1957? So, yeah, it was like 20 years later. Weird. Yeah. Do you have any more fun facts about the show? The sh- oh, I'm sorry. I hate when I call movies shows. Our program. The picture. The picture. No, I don't. I have some after we're done. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... I feel like the stage has been properly set. Okay. Should we go watch it? Yes. Our love fair. We're back. We're back. What have we watched? We've watched um, An Affair to Remember. <laughs> I got a little nervous. We're taking a little break in between the movies to talk about this movie normally we would just start the next one right you know you you don't even take a breath to think about it that's the nature of double features yep courtney yeah had you seen this movie before yeah yeah yeah. did you remember it very well no i remembered the some most of the boat parts i remembered the grandma part and i remembered the end i remembered yeah the broad strokes of the story and then when things would happen i would be like oh yes i have seen this yeah. I forgot all about everything in France with the grandma. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit what happened? Okay. The middle, when they break up with their significant others, I did not catch very much. Because I, I wasn't asleep. What? But I was not paying attention, if that makes sense. What were you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I was, I was tired. I was a little tired. He's got disappointed eyes. <laughs> I was tired and I just, I was like kind of sleeping with my eyes open on accident and then I really snapped out of it. I wasn't sleeping, but like they both break up. It's when she's watching the, t- I know what happens. She's watching the TV and like it she's just watching. It sounds like Nick. everything you're describing is sleeping. <laughs> I wasn't sleeping because watch this. She is watching the TV with, um, I can't remember his name. Ken. Ken. She's watching the TV with Ken and she sees Nikki on it with Lois. And he's like, he's like, you, I know that you, you find him irresistible, something like that. And then the relationship's over after that. But I don't really know why. I also remember when Nikki is in the paint, like the painting, the gallery, and he's talking about his work and like selling his work. But I don't really, un- I don't understand how those connect. Like, I don't understand how that whole part connects. Okay, well, why don't you start at the beginning and I'll okay. connect the dots for you if you need it. Okay, so the beginning, they are on a ship together, Nick and Terry. Yeah. Played by Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr. Yeah. And they start having this, like, flirtatious little back and forth. Um, I thought it was extremely progressive for the 50s. 
Well, it was just like very suggestive. He was very suggestive. Um, and she would like flirt back with him and be like, nah, this isn't going to happen. He's thinking. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily more sexual than... I don't, I don't think the innuendo was necessarily out of pace with a lot of movies from the late 50s. Okay. It was for like 50s life, right? Get I, I just, qu- like... Well, I couldn't tell you that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. They basically, he wanted to just like mess around with her. I mean, it just reminds me of, and these are, the only ones, only movies that are really coming to mind are other Cary Grant movies, but in like Indiscreet and North by Northwest, they do, they are pretty transparent with their innuendo. Okay. In a way that this didn't seem to, they didn't stand out to me. Like, whoa, they are really. So they're both in a, they're both in committed relationships. Nick is engaged. Yeah. To be married to um, a socialite. He's a very famous playboy. Yes. I was trying to think of like, who would that be? Right now? Yeah. Elon Musk. Okay. I'm just kidding. No. What? You, what? <laughs> I don't really understand what Elon Musk is. He's a man. I know. He's a man. I don't really understand. I don't know what he looks like. I don't really know what he does. I know he wants to get to space. He shot he a wa- car into space. He did? Yeah. I don't, I know basically nothing about Elon Musk. So you telling me that was like, oh, okay, famous playboy. Sure. Okay. Pete, everyone knows who he is. They knew he was on the ship. Um, they keep watching. Like the whole ship keeps watching. And then they're like, well, they won't. They back and forth. The and ship then, is the ship knows that they are having like a little love affair. Yeah. Despite their best efforts to conceal it. So that's something that I'm also kind of fo- um, foggy on. Okay. Because Just, of the story or because you were falling asleep? <laughs> because of the story. Um I want <laughs> Sorry. Are you falling asleep right now? No. <laughs> I'm trying to like put my thoughts in before I say them. The story, I, I couldn't figure out if they were, like... Because they do have this, like, flirtation, but I didn't know if the, like, affair, capital A, is, like, them just flirting with each other on the ship or if, like, behind behind the camera they're, they're like, sleeping together or, like, kissing or... They're not, right? Because at the very end they do kiss, but you don't see it. At the end of the ship, like, when they are about to dock. They kiss once. There's, they, yeah, there's they kiss. There's an on-screen kiss. That one time. Yeah. But is that the only one? Like, are you just to assume that they're just a, f- like, shameless flirtation the whole time? Uh, not shameless, but, like, a flirtation the whole time, and then they kiss that one time? I saw this as more, like, these are the boundaries you can push in 1950s cinema, and I assumed they are having sex. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Is the capital A affair <laughs> the affair that they're having? The other option. Or affair meaning... An event. <laughs> the affair to remember is, is like meet me up on the top of the Empire State Building, or the time they shared on the boat. Oh, I think it's a double meaning. I've never thought about that, but I've always wow. just assumed like we we like they had this affair on the ship. This movie's playing at another level. <laughs> wow, I I was really service level on that one. Wow. Okay, well... I took a film class in college, so I guess I'm a bit trained to look a bit deeper in the subtext. You done? Analysis. (laughs) 
Do you want to know a little bit about Deborah Kerr and Cary Grant? Um, Deborah Kerr and Cary Grant improvised many of their scenes while they were filming. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. That's very, like, qui- quippy. Deborah Kerr isn't my favorite actress. I agree with that. But I feel like they have pretty good chemistry. She's just a, she's from a different era where they are just a little, and this is the writing too, but they're a little too prudish. I saw her as like, she overacts, but go into what you're I think that's about. maybe what that is. Maybe, maybe like the, the melodrama. Yeah. And it might just be the movie that they're, they're in. It is a very melodramatic movie. Yeah. The like, oh, darling. Like yeah. There's stuff. a lot of that. And I, yeah, there's just something I didn't really, that was just kind of bugging me. Mm-hmm. But I thought they had really good chemistry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, their banter was very good. Ingrid Bergman was the first choice to play Terry. I would have loved that. And Doris Day was also considered, but Deborah Kerr was cast. I know nothing about Doris Day. Can I throw right. out three Doris Day films that you should yeah. see? Pillow Talk. Pillow Talk. It's very funny. The Man Who Knew Too Much, which is a Hitchcock film with mm. Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. And Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Three very good Doris Day movies. Okay, all For right. our listeners out there who want a little film education in Doris Day, those are uh, my three favorite Doris Day films. I didn't dare tell you this. It distracted me the entire movie. What? I looked up this fact before the movie. What? And I could not believe it. <gasps> my heart's racing. How I n- had never noticed this before. And I could not not see it. Oh my gosh, tell me. And it was kind of bugging me that I couldn't unsee it. Tell me! So during the filming, the cinematographer pointed out that Cary Grant had a lump on his forehead that was making it hard to film his close-ups right in the center. Did you? I did. It didn't bug me, though. Oh, man. I couldn't not see it. What was it? Apparently, the lump was a result of a childhood accident, and Grant had been habitually rubbing it for years, which would cause it to swell. Oh my gosh. Doctors told him it would take four to six weeks to, for him to recover from removing it. And so he took a few days off. This is weird. <laughs> he took a few days off and he had his wife, Betsy Drake, hypnotize him and had the procedure performed in the doctor's office under a local anesthetic. Does it, does it sound like the bump was removed before they filmed it? Like they were starting to film and the cinematographer was like, I can't film any close-ups because you have a bump on your forehead. Well, so was what we were seeing the after I would effect ass- of be- have it being removed? I would assume so because like I never notice it in other... Like he'd filmed more movies before. So I just assumed I had never noticed it until now and would always notice it now in all Cary Grant movies. Shoot, I don't know. I don't know either. But he usually has like a pretty good sheen on his face. For some reason, he's, he's a pretty shiny face, right? And so the light would really underscore that it wasn't just a smooth forehead. He was also ridiculously tan in this movie. He's like that in all of his later movies. Really? North by Northwest, he is so tan. I thought about that too. It's completely fake. It's orange. Yeah. It, I, it fits with his persona in this movie as being like a playboy. Sure. And his hair, I just, I kept thinking like, it's weird how that didn't look. I mean, it does, it, it didn't look as weird on like young younger Cary Grant. But then think about like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about this while I was watching it. All of the stereotypical, like very old men that you've, who like try to hold on to youth and they dye their hair that weird black color. Yeah. And they are like very tan. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Just his hair, the hair in the 50s was so plastered into place. Uh-huh. He's got that like laser line where he's parted his hair where it looks like it's so, the part is so ingrained it looks like there's a piece of like a strip of hair missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it also looks like um, in cartoons where there's like, where ca- cartoon characters will have like black jet black hair and then there's like they show shine but they do it in like a light blue do you know what i'm talking about yeah he did his hair did that too it's funny because i i always used to think with a lot of like tighter fitting suits that are very in style right now Mm -hmm. i remember thinking like oh it's like the style of the 50s is sort of back but it's i wouldn't really say it's the case yeah i guess it's only because there's like thin ties and maybe like thin lapels and everything but the way that clothes fit like, the way that the suits fit men in the 50s, like, shown in these films at least, is very weird. They're, like, baggy. They're baggy. His jacket's very long, but the suit pants come up very high. Uh-huh. He is also... I'm assumed Cary Grant is really tall, but he has a weird physicality when he's, like... Yeah. He always has, like, a very smooth motion because he's very debonair, but then sometimes he has to be very excited to move quickly, and he just looks so elastic. <laughs> like, when they go to Italy to visit Especially his... Especially gr- when he's wearing, like, a big suit. I know. It, like, it <laughs> yeah. makes it, like, really emphasizes it. When he goes to Italy to visit his grandma... they France. Like, sorry, France. They take a little... There's a detour in the movie where he introduces yeah. Terry to his grandma. Another, <laughs> another man comes out with, like, a little girl, and he comes over, and he's, like, kind of dancing and moving around, and he just... Him, watching him move quickly, he looks like Gumby. It's really... Yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. When you <laughs> pointed it out, especially. I actually don't know if that's France or Italy. I also no, wondered... It, it, it is France. Okay. It's supposed to be I France. I wondered if it was like Monaco, because it's like... It... Well, you want to know why I keep saying Italy. Why? It's because this movie would have you believe that Cary Grant is Italian. Yeah, like this, Mediterranean. This very non-Italian man with his transatlantic no, accent. It's like... So you meet... <laughs> yeah, with the transatlantic accent. You meet his grandma. Um, the 53-year-old Cary Grant is only 15 years younger than Kathleen Nesbitt, who played his grandmother. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so they take a little... They, they stop off there for a little bit. Yes. A little too long. Very long, in my opinion. I don't want to skip over when we were laughing. <laughs> the part the part we were laughing at. Do you remember what part that was? Yeah, why don't you, why don't you take <laughs> us through that? <laughs> Grandma's outside. It's broad daylight. All of a sudden, Terry like grabs what looks like a lace curtain from the 90s. <laughs> and she's like, oh, put this on if you're going to go outside. <laughs> It's, like, clearly hot. (laughs) I know. They're, like, swimming on the window deck of their pool. Yeah, Yeah, she puts this, like, it does look like a lace curtain around the grandma. And she's, oh. she's. It's, like, so weirdly around her. And she's, like, I'm going to send this to you one day. And Deborah Kerr's, like, no, no, no. She's, like, no, I will. This will be yours one day. And then as they're leaving, they (laughs) they walk down the stairs. And you can just see the back of the grandmother. In the curtain, weirdly hunched over. Yeah, it looks so freaking weird, and they're just smiling up at her from the bottom of the stairs, like waving. But they do it for so long (laughs) that we were just like, "What? What is this?" It's a bummer that we were laughing so hard because that same shawl is present through many emotional moments throughout the rest of the movie, (laughs) and it kind of was undercutting it a bit for me. Yeah. Also, in movies, when they when this happens, this has never happened to me in real life. So it has to be an invention of film, right? Where you would be like, I love that shirt. 
they're like, you know what? I want you to have this shirt. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 no. They're like, please. It would mean a lot to me if you had this shirt. <clears throat> the weirdest example I can think of is in Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. They're like partners. They're cops. Jackie Chan has to go back to Hong Kong because he's getting kicked off the case. And Chris Tucker like sneaks onto the plane with him because this is before 9-11. And Jackie Chan's like, look, I want you to have this to Chris Tucker. And he's like, it's my, my dead father's police badge. Chris Tucker's like, no, man, I, I can't take this. I can't take your daddy's badge. He's like, no, please. I want you to have it. And if I was Chris Tucker, I'd be like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I think that whenever someone's like, you should have this. I'm like, Cause, just because I said it looks nice? I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, this shawl has no meaning to me. I spent 15 minutes in your in your living room. That is the weirdest part. It's like she's not, A, his... his. Yes, they've made it clear this is not Cary Grant's fiance. Yeah. Anyway, that was it. It looked just like a doily. That... My, I'm telling you, my mom has curtains all over her house that look like it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I would love to show you sometime. They sing a song for a little bit while the grandma plays the piano. I was going to talk about that too. Terry sings a couple songs in this movie. Did you sure. know that is not Deborah Kerr's voice? Oh. Little piece of trivia. Deborah Kerr's singing was dubbed by Marnie Nixon, who also dubbed her in The King and I. They picked someone who didn't sing to be the lead in The King and I? Yeah. That just seems like a weird choice. I know. It, I don't think something like that would really happen today. I know they dub over voices, but like a main character I don't think would happen. I don't think so either. In My Fair Lady, Julie Andrews did the run on Broadway with, with Rex Harrison. So when they decided to make a movie of it, Julie Andrews wasn't enough of a star. So they cast Audrey Hepburn, but then dubbed her singing voice in the movie. That's Julie Andrews singing? No, it's not Julie Andrews singing. Oh. It's someone else. Okay. She wouldn't agree to that, I'm sure. <laughs> But they still kept Rex Harrison. Julie Andrews uh, ended up being fine, I think. Yeah, she's doing fine. They spend more time on the boat. They fall in love. And they make a pact. In six months, if you are in a place, you know, where you want to meet me at the top of the Empire State State Building, this is where I'll be at this time on this date in July. There are some really cool shots where they kept incorporating the Empire State Building. Like, Mm -hmm. this might have been when you were asleep. I wasn't, I never once fell asleep. Deborah Kerr, back in her apartment, looks out, um, outside, and her, the way she's opened the door, the reflection of the Empire State Building is in the door. Oh, I didn't notice that. It's because you were asleep. I wasn't asleep! Did you know that Nikki and Terry uh, make their conditional promise to meet in six months at exactly the halfway point in the movie? No. That is something to think about. Yeah, so they they spend their six months, he's going to go back into painting, and yeah, build up okay. some money. And she goes back to Boston to go back into singing. Um, they mentioned that his one of his paintings is sold for $200. Which I pointed out to you <laughs> is one sixtieth of the cost of a house in 1957. <laughs> $200. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be making it as a painter. Yeah, he seems to be doing pretty well. <laughs> That's great for him. But he's just like, well, oh, I think I'll paint now. <laughs> it also bugs me in movies when... I know what you're going to say. When people don't actually like hustle the way they would in <laughs> yeah. real life. When he was like, I made this wonderful painting and it, it's of it's of Deborah Kerr. And he's like, I made this wonderful painting and I, I couldn't accept money for it. I just wanted to give away even though my agent said it was the best work I'd ever done. I'm like, bullshit. You would take money for that. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Basically, if you haven't seen the movie, we're going to spoil the rest of the movie. Yeah. We spoiled a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. So if you're to this point and you're mad, 
It's, you're bad. They break up with their respective SOs. Yeah. Six months pass. Cary Grant is waiting atop the Empire State Building. Yeah. Deborah Kerr goes to meet him, and she has an accident and is hit by a car and is crippled. Although it's kind of implied, not permanently, that she has treatments. We don't know what that means. Which is why I remembered this. I remembered the very ending scene, which we'll get to. I remembered she was sitting on a couch, and I knew it was because of, like, an ailment. Mm-hmm. Well, so she misses him completely because she's in the hospital. Right. And he thinks she's just punched on him. What would you think of that part when she's in the hospital? Well, I have a little bit more to say about oh, this after. Okay. But. And then more time goes by. They run into each other at this performance, and he sees her with her... Ken, her old love, who is just helping her out, basically, get around. But Cary Grant is hurt, and there's he doesn't realize that she's in a wheelchair. Do you think this surprised audiences at the time? Do you think they walked in knowing that the storyline was going to go this way? No, I didn't know. When I saw it for the first time, I didn't know it was going to go that way. In the meantime, Deborah Kerr is a school teacher, or she leads a choir of children. We sit through, I think, three entire songs of the kids singing. <laughs> cute though i know pacing was different in older films but there's there's fat trim from this from this movie i don't i didn't need like tons i didn't need that much time i certainly didn't need three songs there probably was 15 minutes of them singing two songs of kids one song of her right singing yes she also sings that irish song yep there's so a four. there's a lot of just singing wow yeah, yeah. so carrie grant finds where she is and there's a confrontation I actually kind of liked how this is executed. I think it's the best, one of the best scenes in the movie. Where he kind of is like, hey, I should apologize to you because I actually bailed. And it's clear that they both know what they're talking about. But the way that information is revealed is very, it's just kind of good. It's good screenwriting. Yeah. Good dialogue. Yeah. There's a good tenseness to it and actually like good drama in it. And she's playing it really well where she's like the devastation of what, what he has kind of gone through. And he does a really good job of, at some points he's very resentful and then he'll try to tamp it down and act like... Why do you think he didn't make more of a deal about seeing her at the movie or the theater? Because I think enough time had passed. It probably, it was a Christmas time, so it had been another five months. Okay. And then he saw her with Ken. I think to save his like wounded ego. Okay, gotcha. He was just like... I think it's just one of those things where like you saw an ex and you try to act as cool as you can about it. But then he he kind of puts it together. Yeah, that part was great. And then the end. And I, I like he had a reason because he went back to France. He got the shawl. Um, his grandmother had died. Oh, yeah. So that's why she never sent the shawl. So yeah. he has a motive. And she bought the painting. And that's when he realizes that she was in a wheelchair. And it all comes out that she was in this accident. And then the movie ends right away. I remember thinking, oh yeah, this is the era when, where a, when a movie, the most important plot point is resolved, the movie ends. <laughs> it happens in a lot of movies. Really? You like mean... older movies. Huh. They just end right away. That's weird. This movie wasn't necessarily well received critically, but I think audiences enjoyed it. Uh, it had a budget of $2 million and it made $3.8 million, so it doubled its budget, I guess. I thought this was better liked than it was. Really? But at the time, reviews were pretty mixed. And the people who were critical of it, they said that. Like, they liked the first half and they thought it had, like, some sharp dialogue. I completely agree with that criticism. Very crisp. But the latter half was just 
too melodramatic, and too unbelievable. It has 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a really famous movie, right? Yeah, I thought that too. It did, in the movie we'll be soon watching, Sleepless in Seattle, it kind of got a second life, and it revitalized interest in the movie, and it led to 2 million additional sales on VHS. That makes perfect sense why you and I think it was more successful than it actually was. I'm sure that somehow renewed its cultural impact. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't really understand before how linked those were, but I'd heard about it. Like I knew about an affair to remember. So I wonder if that's because you and I... And maybe it was really popular, but critics just thought it was kind of mixed, a mixed bag. I thought it was pretty fine. I think that's, I think it's perfectly said that it, the first half is really good, really interesting. And then the second half, just kind of like in the 60s range is perfect to me. It's too long. Yeah. And it it could be tight. If it was tightened up, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Uh I didn't realize that the audience is aware that she's in the wreck the entire time. How I remembered it in my head from watching as a kid with my family was you don't really realize she's in a wheelchair until he does. So as we were watching it, I was in my mind thinking, how would I fix this? Because I think dramatically that is better. And I think that actually kind of made me sour a bit on the movie as we were watching because I'm like, oh, this isn't as good as what I had in my mind. Let me just pitch you on this. Okay. Because you look, I can't read what your expression is, but it's, it's not agreement. <laughs> well, no, I, I just, I don't know how you could have confused that. I guess if you were little, I get it. I just, I just forgot you just all, remembered all the it details. Differently? Yeah. Got it. So she goes, she's going to buy a dress and she goes to the store The peep, right before she's going to go meet Cary Grant. She goes to buy a dress. Yeah. And the store owners alert Ken. They're like, hey, this, your, your ex is here. Come over and win her over. So he does go over and talk to her. That scene ends with her being like kind of blowing him off and being like, no, I'm really, I'm still in love with Cary Grant. And then she goes off and gets in that accident. I would have cut it while they were talking to kind of make it seem like he was back in her life and he's like, look, just kind of give me another chance. Okay. And then I would have cut it there. Then I would have just shown Cary Grant at the top of the Empire State Building waiting and waiting and waiting. And maybe at one point you do hear the ambulance, but he just is waiting and waiting and waiting. So you as the viewer think like, did she get back together with Ken? Is that why she bailed on him? And then I would just follow, only follow Cary Grant don't show anything of her in the hospital, which was a weird scene. I hate that. That's my least favorite part. So cut all of that so you don't know what happened to her. You are emotionally with Cary Grant the entire time of being just so confused of like, I don't really know what happened. Okay. You follow him going back to Italy to visit his grandma, like her his grandma's old house, and she's gone on. And he's just like, it's the worst months of his life, right? Heartbroken. He's lost his, his grandmother. And then... He goes out to go see, he kind of gets back together with, what was her name, Lois? Lois. And then he is at this show and he walks up and sees Terry and Ken. So in the audience's mind, that would be like, she did get back together with him. How sad is this? Like, wow, I thought this was going to be their love story and it's very tragic. And that's where he's very cold to her and like picks that up and, you know, walks away. And it follows him and she's just like stunned, doesn't know what to say. And then maybe you would show him going back to his apartment and seeing the the curtain and being like, I'm just going to give this to her and get this out of my, like, I don't want to have this anymore because I'm just reminded of her every time I see this. And then have him show up at her place and she's sitting down. I would kind of frame it like this so the reveal, 
Alan, it's more rewarding. On a rewatch, you would be like, oh, the ambulance you hear in the background is probably from that. And like, you do realize like, you never really do see her stand up. Her not standing up and just sitting there would almost be interpreted as she's being very cold or odd or maybe uncomfortable because she broke his heart. And then you would it would be revealed to the audience the same time it was revealed to him. No, she was in an accident. This is what happened. I, I think that checks out. But however, I think you have to make... The car crash, like more her getting hit by a car, you have to make that. You'd have to rework the. You'd have to rework the dialogue a little bit because when he's like, "Oh yeah, they gave it to a girl in a wheelchair," you'd have to you'd have to make it more explicit, like a girl in a wheelchair, and then maybe he looks over in, into the room and sees it, and he's like, looks at her, and maybe looks in another corner of the room, and there is a wheelchair over there, and then she would reveal in dialogue, "I did go." No, yeah, I know that that worked. My problem is with the. You would have to make the, right after she's shopping, you'd have to make that a bigger deal when like hearing the ambulance or whatever, or hearing her scream, because that's what you do here. I don't think so. I, I think you make the cut on her talking to Ken and him being like, will you just come with me? I just want to talk to you and her like, because you have to think that maybe she was yeah plausibly talked back into going with Ken. I think there's a way that you could do both though. Not, not both like, you know that she's in a car accident, but maybe he's like, Maybe he's like walking. I don't know. I don't know what you would do, but I, I, w- I would want more of like, I'd be pissed if I didn't really hear anything and I missed the sound of the ambulance or whatever. And then at the end, I don't know how you would redo it, but I do. I am on your side. But I just feel like the ambulance part needs like a little bit more. It can't just be one ambulance sound. I, I, I get what you're saying because I think having that reveal at the end without laying a little bit more pipe Maybe that if, would be a bit too out of nowhere. Maybe if she went with him. Maybe if she went with Ken somewhere. <laughs> We're just totally redoing this whole thing. We're pitching a fix to a movie <laughs> from 1957. <laughs> so she goes with Ken. So what if she right. goes with Ken? Okay. And then they're at dinner talking or whatever. And then she's like, she's like, wait, I forgot something. I forgot, or like something like that. And then she disappears. And then later on, you see, hit, like, they're talking and they're, like, maybe Cary Grant's talking to someone and they're like, did you hear about the, like, car accident? Blah, 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 blah. And then you just, from then on, you see her sitting. So it's, like, a little bit more. Okay, yeah. But it's I not could... just, like, an ambi Because I would personally not pick up on just, like, and be like, she got hit by a car. You well, know, at well, the you, end. Well, you wouldn't on the first view, but on a rewatch. But know. I think that's... All right, you, yeah. You need a little bit more. Yeah. But you do, do you... Do you follow with me? I do. I do. Structurally, that the reveal should happen like this. Yeah, because you're just kind of you. You, uh, it's dramatic irony. You know everything that some characters don't, right? Like yes. Yeah. And, and it doesn't work as well as it could. Well, it only came to me because I thought that's how it happened. So when it when they when it goes when it cuts right to her in the hospital, I'm like, oh, they're telling us right away that something went wrong and that she's hurt. And then I thought, like, how would... So I spent the latter half of the movie going, how would I change this? And, like, looking at it and, like, seeing what they... If I had unlimited time and all the boredom in the world, I would recut this movie in a way like that (laughs) to see if that that reveal would work better. Well, you don't even need the hospital scene at all because you hear her scream and you know exactly what happened. Something else I would change is I... uh, I don't know. How did you feel about the the Ken relationship? I kind of liked it. Did you? I actually was surprised at how nuanced that was. He, they kind of made him seem like he was misogynistic. Oh, at the beginning? Yeah. 
But then in reality, he was pretty understanding and was like, you know what? Okay. He like, and he can't, he did keep, he did, he did keep like trying to be like, I'm, I'll wait for you. And like, I'm here for you. But I'll, he still was like a good friend to her. I thought that was actually pretty interesting. I thought they could have had a little bit more, a little bit more drama if he would have been. Well, I guess she probably wouldn't have like stuck around with him if he would have been Terrible. not as understanding. You know what I'm surprised about? What? We got so much more conversation out of this movie than I ever thought we were going to. <laughs> yeah, we did. What do you give it? Let's give it a number out of four Empire State Buildings. I would give it a number two out of four Empire State Buildings. Okay. I would also give it a two. I liked it, but it was so long. Yeah. <laughs> Very romantic. Well, voted the most romantic film ever. What does that even mean? Who votes on that? It was uh, the American Film Institute voted that. I wonder if they have a least romantic movie ever. What do you think that would be? Beetlejuice. Are you kidding? (laughs) Beetlejuice is pretty sexy. I'm not meaning the character. I mean, like, there's a lot of sexual tension in that movie. The least romantic movie? Yeah. I think it's The Human Centipede. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, should we go watch Sleepless in Seattle? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want me to give you some context before we jump into it? Yeah. The year is 1993. Top song of the year... I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. This is the top-selling single by a female artist, if you remember. I do. Couldn't forget it. Yeah. Until it was uh, muscled out by Paramore. (laughs) Do you know what the number two song was for 1993? What? Uh, Woomp. There it is. (laughs) Did I just sound like... Like Mitt Romney or Alec Trebek. <laughs> what is Woomp? There it is. By Tag Team. <laughs> the biggest hits of the year? Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire. Great films. Both. Truly. Top money makers of the year. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll list the top five. Okay. It was a weird category though. They were basing it off of this year and the two previous years. I don't know. This is the best I could find. Okay. Wesley Snipes is number one. Julia Roberts, number two. Okay. Steve Martin, Kevin Costner, and whoop, there it is, Goldberg. Wow, I didn't expect Kevin Costner. The oh. rest of them check out for me. This is right after, uh, you, got, you got Bull Durham, you got Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Dances for Wolves. Okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. He's at the, I would say, it's the height of his power. Um, Sleepless in Seattle is a 1993 American romantic comedy directed and co-written by... Your favorite. Nora Ephron. How much do you love Nora Ephron? So, look, I have five five books, five or six. Probably my favorite writer of all time. Wow. I love Nora Ephron. And people forget that she writes books. A lot of people. So you should read them. I love Nora Ephron. What a weird soapbox. Well, like, people do. They just, like, I feel it's this very weird, like... Uh, Nora writes books, too, okay? <laughs> She's not just known for her film work. Well, like, I feel like you're like, what's your favorite movie? And you're like, like, I've done this so many times mm-hmm. where people are like, what's your favorite movie? And I say, you've got mail. And people are like, okay. You know, like, it's yeah, basic. It's very girl. like, but it's like, I love Nora Ephron. Yeah. And I think that's her best work. I do. I think you've got mail's her best work. Um, well, the movie stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. It is the second of their three films together. Is she and Joe and the Volcano? Versus, Versus the, the volcano. volcano. Then this one. Yeah. And then you've got mail. Oh, very good. Which You've Got Mail, I think, is better than this one. but Whoa. Released. Have you seen this? I have, but it's been very long okay. since I've seen it. 
Came out summer 93, a couple weeks after Jurassic Park. Weird. Like two or three weeks right after. Uh, it was a critical and commercial success. People loved it. It made over $227 million worldwide. Wow, that's a lot. It was. Can I just tell you one thing before we start it? I remember looking at the VHS a lot when I was a kid. If you remember the VHS cover. Got it in my mind. Coast to coast, tall Meg Ryan, tall Tom Hanks, small country in the middle. Very confusing to me what this movie was about <laughs> as a little kid. <laughs> Giants? <laughs> what? What God. is? I think gods angry with each other. I didn't watch this when I was little. Why did you wait so long? I don't know. I just had never seen it. No, none of your family is into this. I'm sure they were. I just had never seen it. This would have been prime. Your sisters would have been the like target audience for this movie. I know it's very weird because I watched my best friend's wedding. I watched so many other movies like this one. Yeah. That, like, I would group together. All right, well, here we go. We're going to go watch it. Yeah, we are. We're going to do a little shout-out to our sponsor, Sonic. Yes, Sonic. Sonic is a great place to get. Uh, cherry Limeade is what I typically go for. If it's late, tonight I might go for a Diet Coke because I need a little caffeine. What are you going to get? What's your usual? I uh, usually get a Dr. Pepper with extra lime. I get yeah, so much lime. You're a lime guy. Oh, my gosh. I don't know where I've been this whole time with lime. You don't know where lime been this whole time? Look, I'm okay. late, I'm late to the lime party, and I'm just happy to be here. Would you say that you haven't been on lime? Um, I would say I had been standing in lime for a while. <laughs> Wife watches. Brought to you by Sonic. Service with the speed of sound. <laughs> Your face just got so serious. <laughs> let's go. Let's go get our bubbly on. Let's go get our bubbly, and let's. Uh, well, we'll see you in just a quick second. I was trying to think of another lime joke. We'll see you in no lime. <laughs> it's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Okay, we're back. We are back. We finished it. We're done. So. Here we are. We watched Sleepless in Seattle. How tired are you right now? I'm actually not that tired. I'm a little tired. Wow, this is the first time that's happened. Don't fall asleep. Is what you always say. Well, you do, so yeah, it's that's warranted. True. That's true. Courtney, will you tell me what happened in that movie? Starting out, we find out that Sam Baldwin and Jonah, are, their mom died. Well, Jonah's mom died. They decide they need a change. They move from Chicago to Seattle. We mentioned when they show Tom Hanks' office in Chicago, how ridiculous it was that they had a computer in the corner because... <laughs> In 1993, what could a computer do? What are you doing with a computer? What are you doing with that? They moved to Seattle. Uh, then you have, like, juxtaposed next to that, you have, it's suddenly Christmas time, and you have Meg Ryan and Bill Pullman going over to Meg Ryan's parents' house. Remind me of what Meg Ryan's name in the movie is. Annie. Annie. Okay. It doesn't feel like Annie suits her as a name, does it? No. I kept doesn't. wanting to say Emma. Oh, she's much more of an Emma. This might have been my favorite scene in the movie. Not fa oh. not favorite, but it was by far the yeah. funniest scene. So they go, it's Christmas Eve, they go to her family's house. Yeah, they're, they're eating dinner. Mm -hmm. They're meeting Annie's family, <laughs> and they're announcing that they're engaged. Yeah. And Bill Pullman is very neurotic. He has a lot of allergies and things wrong with him. And her family is just a cast of characters. We got the B guy. We got the, the B guy, the bald guy. The bald guy. It's mostly the bee guy and the ball guy. He's allergic to everything. Don't worry about it. Bees. I'm allergic to bees. Harold is allergic to every type of bee. We always have to carry a hypodermic of adrenaline wherever we go. 
If he eats even one tiny piece of a nut... My head swells up like a watermelon and I drop dead. It's the same with Harold and bees. Your mother and I had salmon at our wedding, and I really think that a wedding without cold salmon is... I'm not allergic to salmon. Oh, oh. he's not allergic I to salmon. I don't think. But you never know. You never know. Harold wasn't always allergic to bees. When are you getting married, Annie? Uh, in early June, in the garden. Oh, what about Harold and bees? I'm allergic to bees. This movie was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. She goes, she's like, go without me. They're going to Walter's house, who was played by Bill Pullman. Yes. For Christmas Day. You know what I kind of like about him? What? He seems kind of like a good time. Because I feel like normally this kind of a character who's supposed to be like the person you're not supposed to be with would be very dry and boring. Yeah. And maybe she would be making jokes and he would be like, I don't get it. And would yeah. be humorless. But he is kind of like funny and they do seem to have fun at times. Yeah. They're just not, don't seem to be on the same wavelength. No. Yeah. He's still like a nice guy. Yeah, totally. You know, he's kind of like the, the other guy we were talking about in An Affair to Remember. Yeah. Listener. Ken and Walter. That won't be the first connection to an affair to remember in this movie <laughs> does you wait oh i was gonna tell you this but i didn't want to tell you while we were sitting there because i oh. want to save it for this yeah at christmas time when i am driving late at night listening to christmas music i always think of that scene where she's like horses 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 she's singing to jingle bells i always think of that that's just like a very common scene in like my life i don't know i just always think of that it's like she's driving on the freeway it's late at night yeah and then she's like flipping through the channels. But I specifically think of it when it's like Christmas. And then There's, I don't think that's weird. And then she that, turns. That no, a, I don't that think that it's has weird. a trigger for you. No, I don't think it's weird either. I was just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> you freak. Um, Do you remember just being at the at the whim of whatever was on the radio? Yeah. Road trips. You're like, I hope there's something good. I have my tape. I guess. Yeah. There is a lot of big ideas about fate in this. Did you catch those? I mean, obviously you did. Yeah, of course I caught through. Them. Talking about, is there fate? Little accidents happening. How it's a little thing, if that wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't have met that person. How amazing. It is, isn't it? You make a million decisions that mean nothing, and then one day you order takeout and it changes your life. Destiny takes a hand. Mom, destiny is something we've invented because we can't stand the fact that everything that happens is accidental. Then how do you explain that you both ordered exactly the same sandwich except for the bread? If she hadn't have been listening to the radio, yeah, this movie wouldn't have happened. So then Jonah calls in to Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, and he tells this whole story about how he's worried about his dad. His dad gets on the phone, and he's listening to it in her car after she turns the... Do you and... think that's weird that Tom Hanks goes along with that whole thing? Yeah, totally. I don't think anyone else would. They'd probably just hang up, right? Yeah. Unless he's just lonely. Which is probably the point. Because he kind of is like, oh, this. Like, he kind of acts like, this is ridiculous. But he stays yeah. on the line. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't stay on the line. I wouldn't either. And then she, like, keeps listening to the radio show. She's, like, having this, like, this, like, internal conflict. Of, Walter, do I love him? I don't feel any magic. I don't feel any spark. Is this my destiny? Like, all that stuff. I mean, I think at first it's kind of, like, more of she's trying to figure out her own life. I don't think it's, like, she's in love with this guy on the radio. Like, I, I genuinely, I think at first she's, like, something else is sparking her interest. Into I think her, I think Tom Hanks' story about how he feels about his wife is yeah. making her interrogate why she doesn't feel that way about yes. Walter. Yeah. And less of, like, I want Tom Hanks. Yeah, because she, I don't think she figures that out till later. No. 
Tom Hanks goes on a date with Victoria. Yeah. Who sucks. I hate her laugh. Everyone hates her laugh. That's the point of the laugh. It sucks. I feel bad for her. Meg Ryan is friends with 1990s Rosie O'Donnell. Becky in this movie. And she's the one that kind of encourages her, or at least enables her in some way, to go ahead and write a letter to send to Sam and Jonah. And then Jonah gets the letter and he's kind of like fixated on this girl because she likes baseball. There's, they keep showing clips of an affair to remember throughout the movie. And within her letter that she wrote to Jonah, she said, meet me on Valentine's Day at sundown at the very top of the Empire State Building. What did you think about the scene where she and Becky are sitting on the the couch watching an affair to remember and they mouth that part? Well, so this is my question. We know how we talked about this must have been a somewhat popular movie because this movie keeps talking about people who really like it enough to know the different lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. Jonah writes a letter back to Annie. Oh, yeah. Now now this kicks off Annie's like interest specifically into Sam. So she, I don't know, violates probably some kind of law in using the resources at her publication she works at to learn more about Sam did you used to watch movies in the 90s and like just old movies when you were a kid and think that computers would just work by having like a blank black screen and <laughs> typing in a request? I was thinking about this when we watched Alien, how when they were talking to the computer, they would just be like, computer, how many miles until we get here? And the computer just responds back to them. She's just typing in requests and the computer's just looking it up. Like there's no structure or formula to the way that she is putting in the information to receive information back she just wrote like sam baldwin seattle and four sam baldwins came up with like the relevant information she needed and then she wrote a fax to a detective (laughs) the private investigator finds out information about sam and she goes out to seattle seattle yeah to spy on him for like a couple hours oh i did think this was funny how just how easy it is to find a picture of someone that you saw once. I mean, like, the great lengths that she had to go to, back to the computer thing. She had to hire a private investigator <laughs> to take a photo. To take a photo. She had to explicitly say, I need a photo of, of this, this person. person. And we could just go. I'd be like, oh, Sam Baldwin, you'd be able to find the audio of his phone call on YouTube right away. <laughs> Tom Hanks sees her. He notices her when... a Car almost hits her. He is reasonably confused. Oh, yeah, because she was at the airport and he's... It's a, he's, a woman he saw in the airport that fo- he followed for a little bit because he thought she was hot. Mm-hmm. And it's that same woman like a day later. That'd be so weird. He looks over and that same woman you just were checking out at the airport earlier. Has that ever happened to you where you like... It's even weird when you get on a plane with one group of people and then like you're going on vacation and then on the way back a week later, you see those same people on your flight. It's kind of like that. <laughs> kind of like... That's always weird because it's always just like... Uh... Did you think it was weird that there wouldn't be more conversation? They say hello to each other. A car hits her or no, kind, it of, doesn't hit her. kind of just spooks her. Yeah. Jump cut to her back at home telling Rosie O'Donnell about the story. Yeah. If that happened, and even if a car drove by, wouldn't you still have more of a conversation? So she just yeah, went, totally. got back in her car and drove off? Yeah. So she goes home and she decides she's going to do the thing with Walter. She's just going to... She double. She doubles down. She commits on Walter. Yeah. By, they get a ring. It's his grandmother's ring. They go to dinner, and then she can see the Empire State Building. Oh, Jonah, meanwhile, 
Jonah is at the top of the Empire State Building. His friend Jessica, who, what what did you think about Jessica? Precocious kids was just like catnip in the 90s. (laughs) Wasn't every little kid just kind of like that precocious, annoying? Wise crack. Yeah. Knows better than the parents. So Jessica helps him buy a ticket to New York, which also would never happen. Well, I have some questions for you as a frequent child flyer. Do you not need any kind of identification? I don't really remember. I remember my parents had to check me in a bunch. So they would check you in and then they could have special permission to go to the gate with you. But sometimes... How'd they verify it was you? I don't really know. I don't remember that. I guess your parents just vouched for you. In the movie... I don't know what they do now. In the movie, Jessica's like, we're gonna... I'll, I'll say that you're 12. Yeah. On this ticket, so they yeah, won't I didn't, question it. I remember the first time I had to show my ID, and it was when I was like 16, I think. And then just like, for those wondering, there's like a little lounge that you have to wait in. So I would have to just like sit. There's this like, there used to be in the Salt Lake Airport. So the kids' room? I had to stay with kids who were just like so much younger than me. And then the flight attendants they put all, They corralled the all of the kids into there? Yeah, that were flying alone. I guess she just tells, she tells Walter. This is like classic Meg Ryan. Walter Amicably, is so cool about it. Walter's great about it. Walter's, Walter's. He's got good hair. How come Bill Pullman didn't pop like I don't he should have? Maybe because he always gives people dad vibes and never like sexy vibes. But like, he I don't, just, I can't picture myself aside from like. But that hasn't stopped other people. Tom Hanks. He's not sexy. Yeah, he is. In this movie, I thought he was very handsome. Who's more handsome in this movie, Tom Hanks or Bill Pullman? Tom Hanks? Get out of here. You think Bill Pullman is more attractive than Tom Hanks? Sorry, Tom Hanks. I do. That is... That's confusing. Better face, better hair. I completely disagree. Listeners? (laughs) I know who they're going to side with. I don't think they'll side with you. They will. Look at Bill Pullman. Tom Hanks was a heartthrob when he was younger. That's what I'm saying. Like a complete heartthrob. He was the everyman. Was Bill Pullman ever... No, not at the beginning. Now he's the everyman. That's what I'm saying. Why wasn't Bill Pullman? Because I, I think he is more attractive than Tom Hanks. What quality led Tom Hanks to rise to the top? He made like what at the time were good career moves, I guess. I don't think he's as charismatic. He's is that what it sweet, is? Sweet, and he's like, I love him in While You Were Sleeping. And I think that's that is like peak Bill Pullman. I think, but I still wouldn't be like, oh, Bill Pullman's so sexy. Uh, so she goes. She goes to the Empire State Building. She talks to the guy at the desk. She's like, please let me up. He's like, we're not letting people up. And I thought this was interesting. Where he was like, she's like, I have to get up there and see somebody. And he's like, an affair to remember. And he's like, it's my wife's favorite. It's my movie. wife's favorite movie. <laughs> It's Christian Bale. Why don't you head up there? It's my wife's favorite movie. <laughs> Did you notice when she like went to go use the elevator, he was still like mumbling to himself. Cary <laughs> <laughs> Grant. Oh yeah, Let that's what guess. he says. One of those. So she goes to the top. He lets her go to the top. She doesn't see anyone. She's disappointed. She takes a minute. She looks around. She sees the backpack. Oh, I thought it was weird. It's rummaging through the backpack. I guess she knows it's Jonas because it says Seattle on it. Unless she was just like... Trying to make a buck. Yeah, she's like, well, I'm, I'm up here. <laughs> I might as well make it worth my time. And she turns around and Sam and Jonah are right there. And Sam looks pretty stunned. Jonah looks very pleased. What did you think of that? I loved it. You did? Yeah. The end. The only thing I had a problem with was just like, I don't love the... Uh, this is like really kind of like nitpicky maybe. Let's get in the weeds. I don't really like when he's like... 
I do like the line where he's like, We better go. And she kind of looks kind of disappointed and he's like, Shall we? And then they like, you know, that's like, that means all of us. But you, like, you know what I think he should have said? What? And I thought this might be a good callback if he's like, Would you like to get dinner? Damn it, that's good. Do you think so? I yes. thought that's what he's gonna say. And I was like, that's why they set that up. I actually did. I thought that too. Mm -hmm. So I thought I didn't know. It was I still be like. That. I still like the shall we? I think that's like yeah, charming. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought that would be a payoff. And yeah. And then he reaches out her hand, and then they hold hands, and they just look at each other yeah. all the way to mm -hmm. the elevator. That's weird. No, I was thinking the same. I thing. I don't like that. No. You can just walk. It's fine. The staring by far was. Yeah. I'm like, stop it! What are you doing? You're stop, also like in stop, front of... Stop being weird. You're like in front of Jonah. It's kind of weird. And the man in the elevator. It's kind of where, you know, I showed you like those, that, that YouTube channel where he takes those scenes from Star Wars and removes the score <laughs> so you can realize like how honestly kind of ridiculous this scene is without the dramatic music playing. Well, if you didn't have this lovely music playing behind you and it was just the sound of the wind it's at the like, top of the New York State... And like steps. Yeah. You really liked this movie. I loved this movie. Five minutes you were I kept on turning board. to you and being like, do I love this movie? Yeah. Yeah, what did you particularly love about it? It was very clever. It was clever enough that it overrode any plot holes or serious lapses in like logic where it's like, okay, no one would actually act like that. Mm -hmm. They just didn't bother me. And like good writing, I feel like, and good characterization can overcome a lot of that where you can be very forgiving mm -hmm. of things where you're like, okay. But if you're just engaged with the characters. Very good characters. Very good characters. Very relatable. They're just really, I don't know. I really liked it. And it was, they were, it was very funny. It was very sharply written. Mm -hmm. And there were like points where I think the beginning is so great. It's really cool. You see the the cemetery you see them yeah and then it pans, Camera pans up. and then like it's you the see city. chicago yeah i love um the part where he's talking to his wife that part made me cry like in a lesser movie those would feel like kind of cheap ways to try to like make things sad even like all of the tropes of the genre are just executed well well, I and love, so it's just a really good movie and like the, there's just like there's a lot of follow-through in this movie mm -hmm. Like, nothing really happens without you finding a reason for it. It's not like an in-your-face way. Like, when Meg Ryan is listening to the radio and she's peeling the apple. And then that same moment where he's talking to Jonah, the last thing he says is, like, Just you know, your mom apple. can peel an apple in one long string. And there's really nothing narratively that's left hanging or goes in a direction where you're like, I don't really know where this is going or what this is. Mm -hmm. or, or there's no payoff on this. Yeah. Or Efron. She always does these little like, in the middle of some, in the middle of like a conversation that people are having, she'll throw in something weird that's like interesting. Like when they were having a conversation about the, she's talking about widower, the word widower. Yeah. That's like very Nora Efron. She does that a lot in When Harry Met Sally too. I feel like, but I feel like it's, I feel like it's mostly Harry. I feel like it fits better in that movie because most of their interactions are just off-the-wall conversations yeah. about stuff. The one in the... Yeah, I felt like this one was out of, more out of place than it would have been in When Harry Met Sally or You've Got Mail. Because in You've Got Mail, they're kind of doing the same thing where they're writing letters back and forth, so they're just talking about stuff. Yeah. So she's like, today I saw a butterfly on the set. You know, like, it's just, like, random crap. Well, and Tom Hanks is the same way in You've Got Mail. Yes. They both... They write their emails in a way that no human being would have I would, a conversation. I would say, actually... Which is fine because you forgive it because you're like, there's a suspension of disbelief that needs to happen. I think When Harry Met Sally is totally different. 
Maybe that's just because it's not Tom Hanks, but no, I you're right. There's different energy. With, there is because of however, Billy Crystal instead of Tom Hanks. However, uh, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan plays essentially the same character in both movies. You've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. Tom Hanks doesn't. He's very different. I like his character in You've Got Mail too, but I really love his like the way that he interacts. I feel like the most chemistry he had with anyone in this movie was with his son. Anyway, great movie. I I feel, I said to you, I feel like I was watching it with new eyes weirdly. I thought it was great. In fact, honestly, the only things I really remembered from the movie was when she hides in that broom closet to listen (laughs) to the radio. I remember that scene and then I remember the Empire State scene at the end. And I, and I knew that he like talked on the phone like his son had like instigated this. I remember like general plot ideas, but like a large portion of the movie was completely new to me. So it's very You don't remember horses, horses, horses? Well, I, I do, but only when I'm like, when I'm driving <laughs> around Christmas time. Here's some what if casting for you. Oh, I love these. The role of Annie was originally offered to Julie Roberts, who turned it down. Good. She, you know what? I don't need to see her in this role. She's not Annie. She could never be Annie. Whoa. <laughs> in the same way that Meg Ryan could never be a pretty Julianne woman. Potter. Oh, yeah. Not on her best so, continue. day, Megan. We've watched two movies in the last week and a half where a woman has <laughs> has severely ripped her dress. It's, and not, it's not just a dress. It's a formal dress. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Wedding dresses. One was a wedding dress, one was a bridesmaid dress. A week and a half ago, we were watching my best friend's wedding, and when Julia Roberts is getting tailored for her wedding, her dress is getting, you know, fit, she steps down, and there's just that huge, like, whoosh sound, and Jason goes like this, <gasps> and it happened again, and we laughed about it when it happened, but it happens in this movie. She rips the wedding dress, the arm of the wedding dress, and once again, I hear, <gasps> look. <laughs> It just gives me so much anxiety. It's so funny. Because you know I what? I don't do that. They're always at these places. They're trying on these very expensive dresses. Sure. I think that was the, Julie, the the my best friend's wedding. Yeah. They're in New York. They're trying on these expensive dresses. You know they cost thousands of dollars. And so the okay, entire just... time, there was just a part of me. It's kind of always like if you're having a conversation with someone and there's just like a glass on the edge of a table. You're just It's always in there in the back of your mind. Yeah. And so I think the entire scene, I was just kind of aware of like, uh, why are you, you know why do you have this very expensive thing on? Maybe just, maybe just put it on and take it immediately off. Is that why you narrowed in on Titanic, the the suit? You're very, yeah. you're very like aware of expensive clothing, which is so funny to me because you're not like, you don't really wear expensive clothes, well, clothing. It's because. Because you're so nervous something about mu- it? Something must have happened in my young age where I ripped something very expensive or yeah, irreplaceable. Yeah, that's like a thing for you. It's I, so funny. It's true. I am very nervous about owning, wearing expensive things because clothes, they just, they get damaged like that. You spill something, you're, you're done. You're done. You know what I mean? So like, I... Kind of, but like not to the extent that it, you're like so worried about it. Relieves it relieves me knowing that like, I just have like basically a shirt I can just replace very easily. Okay. It like makes my day go smoother. That is true. I didn't even link that to the Titanic one. The first thing I thought was, guy's still in the same damn suit. Like that's not his suit. What is he doing? And the whole time I was just like, Sure, you can unbutton the top collar and take off the jacket, but you're spilling stuff all over that. Why are you looking at me like I'm a freak? (laughs) I just never heard you get so passionate about clothes before. It's not even just clothes. It's also just like, it's honestly why I get get nervous holding babies. (laughs) 
Because you know what? I don't want to be the one to drop them. Yeah, I don't want. You're I, not going to. Be. I don't want to have that happen on my watch. No, it's not going to. You're very careful. You're you know a careful what I think? Guy. All right. You know what I think? I might, it might have been. What? I've interrogated this now for a little bit. My parents' house has a lot of <laughs> antiques. My grandma's house, that was like five or six blocks away from us, also had antique things. Yeah. And from a young age, it was like ingrained in me, like, don't roughhouse with this stuff because it can be, it breaks easy. So I think I've always just been kind of like, Careful. okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. All right. Bull in a china shop. Even sometimes when I'd play with some of my friends and they would have their toys and they would just like smash them together. I'd be like. You are. You're still weird about toys. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing, man? Like, hey, you're going to break these. We don't have a million Wolverines, okay? We don't, <laughs> we don't have like, we don't have a stash in the back if you just break this Batmobile. You weren't like that? I was careful with my body. I never wanted to get hurt. I was not an adrenaline junkie. Me neither. I've always been a nervous, guilt-ridden child. I told you about when in fifth grade, when we slept over at Tommy Loveless's house, uh, listeners of the podcast will recognize his name because <laughs> he's one of the kids who climbed the rope to father of mine. <laughs> when we slept over at Tommy Loveless's house in fifth grade and we snuck out to go toilet papering, I was so nerve-wracked of getting caught and getting in trouble that I called my mom no one else knew what I was doing. I called her like privately away from everyone else and was like, mom, is that okay if we go toilet papering? And she was like, yeah, go to, yeah, go, yeah. And Be a kid. I was like, oh, I can enjoy myself now. Because the entire time I would have just been like shaking and been like, when are the cops showing the up? fun. I, you know, I, had, I had a ball without it. Wow. There's a list of other people who were, I don't know if this is all true or not. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, it's fun. I don't care. I like okay. imagining. So Kim Basinger was also offered the role uh, early on in the script process, but turned it down because she thought the premise was ridiculous. Well, <laughs> yeah. she's a bit too, honestly, a bit too sexy, like yeah, a bit too severe that. and like too mature. There's like, uh-huh. you need kind of like a naive, like sweetness of Meg Ryan. Yeah. Uh, some other names too. Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Leigh, and Jodie Foster. Nah, I don't want any of them. Dennis Quaid was considered for the lead role. Ironically, he was married to Meg Ryan at the time. I was never a big Quaid Dennis Quaid. You're never a spade for Quaid. I was never a Quaidette. Sucks, kind of. Are you kidding? That's the best one. A spade for Quaid. A Quaidette? Like cadet? I get it. I'm not sure you do. The scene between Tom Hanks and Victor Garber crying about the Dirty Dozen. Oh, yeah. Was completely improvised during I the take. I hated that. Yeah. But I, it was also like a time capsule of 1993. I know. Do you know why I got, I I got kind of bored of that running joke of like... Guys just being like, chicks. Sounds like a chicks movie. Literally, he said that. Sounds like a chick movie. Yeah. I mean, I've complained to you ad nauseum about how annoying it is when people put men and women into boxes, especially yeah. when it comes to the types of genre of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hate that. I That drives me crazy. Yeah. When girls are like, I only love movies that have love in them and kisses. And guys are like, explosions, blow shit up. Or when girls are like, you wouldn't like that movie. That's I think that's what you've complained to me the most about, mm-hmm. is when girls are like, you wouldn't like that movie. It's a chick flick. It's like, I just want good characters. I feel this like... This is the chickest flick, and it's a, such a good movie. I, this movie is fantastic. Yeah. I truly love that movie. I personally just think it's kind of... I don't know. It's dumb. I feel like just appreciate a story and good characters. They can come mm-hmm. in. Every genre has has crap, but also within that genre are like really compelling stuff. Yeah. However, there is something about fantasy that mm-hmm. I have tried so hard to be into in so many different mediums. 
And I will, I don't think I'll ever, I mean, yeah, like you were saying, like, there's good stuff that I do like. I don't, I really do not, like, connect with fantasy. I guess that's different than being, like, that's a, I'm a girl, so I like girl movies. No, I think, I think what you're saying is totally. Having taste. Totally valid. Having an opinion. Yeah. Because even, even we watch, like, we saw The Favorite, we saw The Lighthouse. Uh Uh-huh. I completely understand why people love those movies. And I think that's, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not for me and that's not my taste or style. Yeah. So I think that's totally fine. I mean, even... But it's like the open-mindedness that's annoying. Yes. Or the closed-mindedness. It's where it's just like thinking like, well, that's stupid. I'm like, well, yeah. okay, well, don't write it off. It's just not the thing that speaks to you. But because mm-hmm. Star Wars is very fantasy heavy. People say it's yeah. sci-fi, but it really is fantasy. Yeah. I feel like you were able to... Like, cherry pick the elements of things that spoke to you, which is like, you know, good character development, characters interacting and like being invested in like emotional stakes. So you're able to find those things within those story beats that like spoke to you. And I do think it took practice. Like, it's like, I don't know, I was better at it towards the end. Well, and I think it helps that this is where I mean where people just disparage entire genres. It's like, yeah, every genre has a lot of movies that suck. And I think it helped that I was showing you a franchise that is supremely like culturally relevant mm-hmm. ties to like our childhoods in a way because like our, yeah. our siblings are very into them. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. it also helped that you were watching a very, very famous film franchise. So you were kind of invested in just being like, well, I just kind of want to see what the deal is with this anyway, but we'll give any, we will genuinely give anything a shot. Yeah. We we're... we've seen a lot of movies. I never would have seen in the time that we've been together. I feel like I probably would have gotten around. Well, you watch a lot of movies. I do, yeah. You watch everything. I've gotten more open-minded in my age, like, as I've gotten older, Mm -hmm. for sure. But I never would have watched Star Wars without you. Like, there's, I never would watch any of the Marvel ones. And again, not because I'm like, that's stupid. Because, like, a couple years ago, I saw a couple of them. And then I decided, like, I don't really get these. Well, even when we were watching some of them leading up to Avengers Endgame, I, like, I just understood that, like... Courtney's going to connect with these on an emotional level. So I'm yeah, going to show helped. her the emotional through line of these characters and why, what, what could interest her within these movies. Yeah. Honestly, I think the only reason that I feel that way is because my parents sat me down and I watched An Affair to Remember and Sleepless in Seattle all growing up. Yeah. And I feel like that's the only reason why I like feel like I have an appreciation for like a bunch of genres is because... Well, yeah, mine did too. Mine yeah. did the same thing. Well, look at us. Aren't we just... We just patted ourselves on the back. Yeah. But I think the point is people should be more open to genres that they might. Because you know what? You might end up really liking something and being like, wow, I had I, no idea that I love this. Star Wars. You loved The Last Jedi. I loved it. And you would people never. are like, stop talking about The Last Jedi. <laughs> we never Too will. Too bad. <laughs> so anyway, did you know that Tom Hanks was simultaneously doing the voice work for Woody in the first Toy Story during his days off filming this movie? Isn't that crazy? That is very weird. Because Toy Story came out in 95, so they would have been working on this in 92, 93 to get all the animation done in time. My favorite actor for years, till Adam Driver came in. Whoa. And took over the driver's seat? <laughs> Hanked him over into passenger seat? I'm cutting that one out. <laughs> One more piece of trivia that I think you'll really enjoy. Okay. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks only share approximately two minutes of screen time together. It's kind of an anticlimactic one to end. I really liked that. I thought that was interesting. I was like, man, that is kind of weird just because... They probably just didn't... Yeah, they've probably... Well, the only scene... They have just those two scenes together. Do you think they really were on top of the Empire State Building? I think they were because I wondered that when they were had the shot of just her up there, like looking out there. 
But then the ca- I was like, I wonder if this is only going to stay on her and not turn around. But then she moved forward and the camera turned over. Mm-hmm. I think they did. Look, it's a great movie. It is. If you haven't seen it, well, you everything's just been spoiled for you if you've listened to this point. But go watch it. Ag- you know what? If you have seen it, go watch it again. It's yeah. really lovely. It's a perfect Valentine's Day movie, honestly. It truly is. That's why I wanted to do it this week. Yeah, me too. Both very charming movies. And honestly, a great double feature. Yeah. The next episode will be a fantastic movie to also watch around Valentine's Day yeah. if you are single. <laughs> 500 Days of Summer. I love that movie. Me too. It's one of my. It was one of my favorite movies to watch on Valentine's Day, single and alone. Uh, Courtney, where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at wife watches. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter at wife underscore watches. Note mm-hmm. the underscore. Mm-hmm. You can email us. We've gotten a few emails that we've loved reading through. Uh, at mywifewatchesmovies at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, leave a review. Yeah. If you don't... Don't rate us if it's going to be anything lower than a five. <laughs> be, thank you. We love to hear from people listening to the podcast. It's genuinely so fun for us. And... Um, it really is such a treat. And I feel bad because I was actually going to prepare a little bit better and, and give a shout out to some of the people who emailed us and reached out to us yeah. on social media. I promise I will next episode, but... Wait for those shout outs. And if you want a shout out, we'll shout you out. It, truly, yeah. Oh, we have we can shout out one person. Somebody okay. left us a uh, rating. Skylar Harrison. Oh, Thanks yeah. for listening to the podcast. I don't know if he still listens to it after Star Wars. Well, he gave a lovely shout out to uh, Courtney's Yoda impression. Oh, did That's he? his favorite, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Skylar. Are we doing well? <laughs> Leaving a message on his voice. <laughs> Um, I didn't think I would uh, uh, miss you. Um, anyway, if you can just um, give me a give me a call back, and um, I blah. Anyway, um, yeah, I will talk to you later. Okay, okay, I'm really hanging up now. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> Bye. How many how many Empire State Buildings would you give this one? Oh, well, let's, four. Let's... Are you kidding me? You would. Yeah. Okay. I love this movie. All right, everyone. Watch you later. And remember, you make a million decisions that mean nothing, and then one day, you order takeout and it changes your life. That's kind of what she said, right? It's so important to make someone happy.